I'm supposed to read from Psalm 60. Urge, okay, oh God, you have cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased. Oh, restore us again. You have made the earth tremble. You have broken it. Heal its breaches, for it is shaking. You have shown your people hard things. You have made us drink the wine of confusion. You have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Selah. That your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand and hear me. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and measure out the valley of Sukkoth. Gilead is mine and Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the helmet for my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom I will cast my shoe. Philistia shall in triumph because of me. Who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Through God we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. Thanks, Gloria. Lion of the tribe of Judah. Said in the psalm that Judah was the lawgiver. I thought Moses was the lawgiver. Moses was a Levite. Judah is Judah. Something is coming from the tribe of Judah that was the lawgiver. Now, I don't know, maybe it's just a sign that when Messiah comes, he will come from the tribe of Judah and he's God because he's the one that gave the law. That might be a stretch, but I think the pattern is in there. It certainly doesn't deny any of that. But it's worth considering, and it's in this psalm. Now, we kind of skipped the first intro, but I think... What's the next slide, Bryce? Yeah, that, that'll work. But anyway, in that intro, it said something like this about a Shushanadoth, which is a lily of testimony. And a lily is an emblem of beauty as a description of the psalm. Those terms combined may denote a beautiful poem, witnessing. That is, for God's faithfulness as evinced in the victories referred to in the history cited. Now, we kind of skipped over that. Go back to the beginning of the reading of that scripture, to the first, yeah, right there. Urgent prayer for restored favor from God to the chief musician. Now, the chief musician is the guy that's going to put music to the poem. And the instrument was this lily thing, the lily testimony. And they think that it's referring to a kind of an instrument that would really bring out worship, you know. So we don't really know what it was. Nobody does. But it, 
somehow it enhances the testimony that's about to be given. And a mitchtam of David. Now that, that word basically means gold. So you have the golden words of David. This is one of the Psalms that has that title, that this one's gold. And we still talk that way. You know, the term gold, we, man, it was, it was gold. We say things like that yet today. So it's not too uncommon. And it was a, a, a psalm that was used for teaching. And it was used to teach some stories about war. Apparently there had been a battle going between King David, Mesopotamia, and Syria. We kind of alluded to some of that in one of the other psalms. But David went out and he was fighting this guy, or these nations, and he's doing his thing because God had anointed him with oil and he was a king and he was good and he behaved and he didn't try to kill King Saul and he was always honoring God and writing songs and poetry and going to church on Sunday and putting money in the offer. He did everything the way you should do it in the Old Testament. I mean, David was a good boy. So there he was and he's out there fighting this battle. And something happened. Well, what happened was these folks from Edom came up from the south, and they attacked. And so David had to split his army. And so Joab and Abishai, I think his brother is, they went, took some of the troops, went down south. So they've got a two-front war going on. There's nothing more devastating than to have a two-front war going on. I mean, that, it's just hard to take. And split his army. And the nation was all worried. It's like, what's going on? We're being invaded from all sides, and there's... A, you know, where's Joab and where's David and how's it going and things aren't going well. They just are not going well. <clears throat> but it does say that eventually Joab returned after having killed 12,000 Edomites down there in the valley. I guess you could say he's worth his salt, which is a real thing. But in the moment, I mean, when the psalm was written, so... This is gold. This is, this is one that the Scripture thinks you should know the backstory in order to know what the psalm really means. And so sometimes when people are preaching, they will tell you history, which can be really boring, you know. But if you know the history, it's a little easier to get the meaning of the text. And... History is very important in all walks of life. And there's biblical evidence that history is necessary for teaching the Bible. There. So, but here, here's the thing. David, in writing this psalm, he, he's got kind of a lament. It starts with, things are not going well here. And then there's this sorrow and disappointment thing that he outlines. And he's full of questions and problems again. And then he gets to the end and he's struggling with, do I have enough trust in my God to win this war, to lead this nation, to lead these people? And that's the psalm. And David felt that after these battles were over that he'd write this all out and that it should be taught and sung to the congregation that in the midst of this kind of a conflict, we would remember that when there's a two-front war going on in life, God is still on the throne. And that's the whole point of this psalm. So, um, you know, 
We know that the Bible says that God cares for us more than sparrows, right? Where's that found in the scripture? Anybody know? Matthew, very good, Matthew 6. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. He says right in there in the text, you're worth more, you're of more value than they are. I, I know them. They're my, last week's psalm, he said, the birds of the air are mine. I got them all. They're mine. And this week, it's like, okay, I'm out here. I'm your king to lead this great people. You're going to make a great nation out of me. And why are we losing this battle? What is this all about? How, you know, what's all this about the sparrow thing? Now, David didn't know about that, but we do, don't we? Have you ever felt that way? It's like, it seems like the sparrows are eating better than I am. That's not true. I eat pretty good. Don't bring any more food over. <laughs> Unless it's bread pudding. Or key lime pie or lemon pie or... <laughs> oh, I digress. Here's the thing. Where is this? It seems like... I think David was being stretched. I got stuck on food and I got off track. <laughs> David was being stretched in two different areas. And it made everybody in the kingdom very nervous. So think about our lives before we even get into the psalm a little bit. But, you know, you have family. And all the families are just fine, right? And then there's work life, which is always smooth. Co-workers, you know, wonderful. Church. Okay, let's move on. But, you know, even at church sometimes, isn't that true? I mean, I notice it in bigger churches than I have ever in this church. You know, people with agendas and attitudes and things. I think one of the, the true blessings we have in this little place is we... We each have opinions and ideas, but there's a real good sharing of that. So I don't know why I put church on the list, but it doesn't always go smooth, does it? No, I don't think so. But then you got your neighbors, your spouse, and your spouse has you. There's that. Then you got free-range chickens in Freeport running around your yard. And then you got cats from the neighbor constantly fertilizing your flower bed. And then when you're mowing the grass, that stuff that you step in, because you don't even own one of those kind of disposal units, it's like, what is that all about? <clears throat> and those are just the little things that really irritate the really big things. And about the time, you know, the engine light that comes on, you end up with two flat tires because some contractor left a box of roofing nails in a trailer that has a screen bed type floor. You know, and I mean, it just... And to try to maintain an attitude of, you know, trusting God in all of that when we're being spread so thin, and then the phone will ring. And somebody that we love has died or is sick, or, and it just keeps getting piled on. You hang the phone up, and the appliances have conspired against you, and three of them blew out in the night. You know, there's just, you just say, I am so spread, so thin. Lord, you know, and that's kind of the setting, I think, of this psalm, to try to get into that feeling a little bit. 
David had been anointed. He knew he was king. He knew that God was with him. He had seen God's hand, the giant, the wars, the Philistines. I mean, think of all the things that David has been through at this point in his life. And yet, he's still spread too thin and struggling with his ability to trust his God. So if any of you have ever been to where you're struggling to trust, it's been that way for a long time. For a lot of godly people over the years. So it starts in verse 1 with this lament. You have, you have, and you have. That sounds more like an indictment, doesn't it? Cast us off, scattered us around, and now you're displeased with us besides, and we know it. We're, we've, we're feeling it down here. But the antidote to that is, oh God, please restore us. And the real, the real focus isn't so much, God, you have, you have, you have, as much as maybe I'm the one who's off base. Maybe I'm the one who needs to be restored to a better position, to a better understanding of things. But he words it that way, and I don't think God is offended by us raising those kind of serious questions that even feel like accusations against his character, because he can handle it. As a matter of fact, he already has handled it on the cross at Calvary, and it's okay to ask him those kind of questions. This is one of the golden psalms, but this is one where he pours his heart out directly it almost sounds like he's making an accusation. But our lack of understanding concerning God's plan and timing on things will always eat away at our ability to trust him. Does that make sense? Because we don't know what God's doing. We doubt him. As though he owes us an explanation for everything that's going on in the universe so that we can feel good about him being our Lord and Master. It just seems a little bit out of place. Just a little bit out of place. Jesus, when he was here, he said this. John six thirty seven, He that comes to me, I will in no way cast out. You have cast us off. It's not what Jesus said. You come to me, I won't cast you off. And he said, if you come, you scattered us. Well, if I'm scattering you, why am I calling you all together? Come unto me, Matthew eleven twenty eight. All you that are really weary, 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 and I will give you rest. I'm the gathering one. Jesus is gathering. How often I would have gathered you if you would have come. He, he said that to the people in Jerusalem. And if he was displeased... You know, then he's displeased with this, our lack of faith. And in Hebrews 11, what is 11? Yeah, Hebrews eleven six. I think there's a slide for that one, Bryce. Maybe not. I might have forgot to put it in there. Um, but anyway, Hebrews 11 says it's impossible to please God without faith. We must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So here's the point. I'm the one who needs restoring. If my faith is weak, 
maybe I should examine all of that and figure out why am I not trusting God? What is my struggle today? I am spread so thin in so many categories. And yet he is still there. Why? What is that all about? Well, let's go to verse 2 then. I know. I think that one's there. Yeah, there we go. <clears throat> Two more you haves. And David's laying it right out. You have made the earth tremble. You have broken it up. The whole world's coming apart. It's just, it's, they're attacking us from every direction. There's enemies everywhere. And the people, you know, I mean, what's going on? Well, the world's always been in tension. <clears throat> this might be a surprise, but did you know there was tension in the garden? Eden. You know, we always talk about innocence and paradise and all that and how wonderful it was. But there was tension there. It was a really like enemies at war with one another. How do you know? Because there was a challenge given to Adam, don't touch the tree. And the minute the command was given, it created a tension. There was a tension between Adam and Eve as Adam tried to teach his wife. And there was a tension between Eve and the serpent. And there was a tension between God and Adam because Adam was considering disobeying, hiding in the bushes and whatever else went on. But there was a lot of tension there. And the world since has been coming unraveled because of the choices that Adam made. And sin has come in and chaos has come in and there's the tension has only become worse. And David, in his day, is wrestling with a world that's coming unraveled. It's coming apart. Now, in America, everything is so smooth because we have a constitution, and we have voting rights, we have all, everything. It's just wonderful. We have no tension anymore. The lady told us one time, she says, isn't it wonderful to live in a place where there's no more demonic activity like America? And she's a Bible teacher. She honestly believed that. God bless her for... I don't know what that was about. <clears throat> but the earth is trembling. It's broken up, and there's only one that can fix it. Now, we know from Revelation 21, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to fix it. It's going to get fixed. So whatever it is that we're worried about, the way this thing is coming unraveled and the chaos and all the problems, he's going to fix it. But he didn't tell me how, and I think he owes me an explanation. Maybe not. He has given us a chance to trust him. That's it. But according to what the book says, Revelation 21, verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to get fixed. The only question is, do we, do we trust him? You know, we keep trusting in such hard, crazy times like this, and even in our own personal lives. I mean, just you don't have to go very far from home to find the problems. I understand that. But look at verse 3. And the people in David's day said, this is hard. This is hard. And confusion. I just don't understand what is going on. You know, we've... Did all this stuff. We promised land the Jordan River and the kings and the judges. I mean, we're here we are, King David's on the throne. Utopia has finally come. Now David's being defeated up north and Joab's getting kicked down south and who knows where Abishai is and 
Everybody's nervous, confused. Our lack of understanding concerning God's plan and timing on things will always eat away at our ability to trust Him. The people didn't know what David was doing. We don't know what the Lord Jesus is doing. I know this, he said, occupy till I come. Just hang on. I'm coming back. I'm fixing something up for you. I'll come get you when it's done. Do we trust him? And that's, that's where David and the people should have been. What was God doing in the hearts of the enemy? What was he doing with Mesopotamia and Syria and Edom? What was the big test for the folks back home while David was suffering a loss and a setback and Joab was kind of wondering if he was going to win? I mean, what was God doing? Now, he may have been accomplishing a lot. We don't know. David didn't know. David just felt like, I'm the king. I shouldn't have to put up with this. <laughs> what have you done? You have, you have, you have. I think the answer to the big plan is, uh, again, trust me, verse 4, we finally get to that point, and David admits here a little bit of faith, maybe a lot of faith. What's buried in this sentence is really cool because, it, again, it fits the pattern of things. Like the Old Testament has this pattern of things that Paul said, it's for our knowledge and learning and understanding, but here comes the pattern set up a banner for those who fear him. Now, here's a banner, and it's tied to a cross. You see a little person at the bottom there clinging to the, the pole. And the arrows are coming in, but they can't get past the banner. In the old days, a banner was... I mean, every military outfit has a banner. You know, the one I was in was first to fire, and we had a little flag because we were always ready to jump in and get killed first, I guess. I don't know. But think about all the military operations and the banners when you see the troops marching. And they serve under the banner, under the flag, the American flag. You know, we wave a white flag when we want peace. And if you give the flag to someone, you say, you can operate under this flag for a season. And there's... It used to be a, a strong thing of comfort and trust was built when your enemy gave you the banner and there was an agreement. It was it's a thing. So if you have a banner, I've asked this question before on a different word, but it's a similar word. How many corners does a banner have to have before it will fly in the breeze? Three. Because if it only had two, it'd be a piece of string or a rope, right? It wouldn't be a, you could hardly read that, I guess, unless it was a really big piece of rope. I'm not sure it would fly in the wind. All right, three. So you got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe you have death, burial, and resurrection. That's three. That flaps in the wind. Maybe you have faith, love, and hope, or any number of other trilogies that are available for solids and liquids and gas. And, I mean, it goes on and on. It's just how many parts does a banana break into, for heaven's sakes? Have you ever tried that one? 
push your finger on the end, you have three pieces inside that. It's cool. There's so many things that do that. But the banner, according to the Song of Solomon, which is the next verse here, check this out. He brought me to his banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. So you're going to run up a banner on a pole where everyone can see it and understand that it has value and meaning and worth, and it's a place you can stand and find promises kept. And you can find uh, all that you ever needed, in a sense, or all that you will ever need, given to you by the greatest of all kings on the, that the world has ever known. Christ himself, in the flesh, delivered the banner of love on the pole. I mean, the, the, the patterns are so phenomenal just in that one verse. David's just writing his gold psalm, man. It's a, it's a good one. So when you're feeling stretched from end to end, understand this. He's still on the throne. He's asking us to trust him and his banner over us in this moment that we feel we're losing and stretched thin. His banner over us is love. I don't feel that way. It's still true. A lot of times we don't feel a certain way, but that doesn't change reality. Reality is a good word because the word for truth at the end deals with reality. The reality is love and truth is the banner that flies over us. God loves us in reality. You know, in John 3, John 16, rather, 31 to 33, Jesus talked about this a little bit, but he said, yeah, you might get scattered. It's, it's, it's coming, talking to the 12. It's, there's going to be some hard times when you're spread pretty thin. But he, when he got to verse 33, he says, I'm telling you all this so that you can have some peace in this world. It's filled with tribulation, but be of good cheer. I'm going to take care of the problem. I conquered the world it still doesn't I mean I know that but I still cut my fingers this I mean I cut this one half off and I poked here and here and here and here on Monday I was just a bloody mess I had to sneak into the house so Dale wouldn't know I was dripping blood all over the backyard I mean I was trying to just do a little something on the deck in those moments, though, do you stop and think, oh, God really loves me, you know? Why didn't he shut that thing off before it half ate my arm off? And he's saying, why didn't you shut it off? You were running it. It was just a grinder. I dropped it with a cutting wheel on it. <laughs> I still have most of my fingers. Look at it. No, but in the battle, in the mix of things, when there's chaos and confusion and even simple things like that, God is still on the throne and his banner over me is still love. And I don't know what the problems are that we're facing this week. Nobody knows what tomorrow's going to bring in. How many of you know Dirk? He's been here playing guitar. And uh, this week he had a mini stroke. He ended up in the hospital. He lost his balance and a little bit of his speech. He's home now and doing well. Things change in a moment. But Dirk loves the Lord. And his banner over 
is love. And he's still trusting his God. But things can change in a minute. They can change really quick. Are we trusting him? Sorrow and disappointment. We'll just run through these really quick because there's not much left to say. But verse 5. That your beloved may be delivered. You banner over me that you're... This is David, me, that I might be delivered, saved by your right hand. I want you to hear my prayers, Lord. And then the sorrow and the disappointment is still there. It's real. It's pushing him. And then God answers him in verses 6 through 8. He said, look, I'm rejoicing, David. I'll divide Shechem if I want to. I'll measure out the valley. I can do Gilead's mine, Manasseh, Ephraim. Judah's my lawgiver. Moab is... They're done. I'm done with Moab. I washed my feet in there. They're done. Edom. Out east in the Middle East yet, it's still the shoe is a thing. You remember when Saddam Hussein, they pulled that statue down and all the people were taking their shoes off and smacking the statue with it? It's a thing. It's a real thing in the east. <clears throat> but there will be a shout of triumph because of me. It's the pattern. The lawgiver is Judah. And we're, we could talk about every one of these for a whole Sunday, these people groups. But I just talk about that one statement, the lion, the lawgiver, like I said at the beginning. We know that from what Jacob said when he blessed Judah, that there was a lion involved in this. And uh, I think I put that one on there. Yeah, go to the next one, Bryce. Judah, the Jacob's blessing his son. You are the he whom the brethren shall praise. We're talking about the coming of the Messiah. This is a prophecy about something in the seed line of Judah, which is where Jesus came from, King David's greater son. And all the brethren of Israel would be praising Judah in Christ. Your hand shall be upon the neck of the enemies. The father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp from prey. My son, you're gone up. Gone up on what? The throne? The cross? Either way, he's gone up. He stooped down. He came down from heaven's glory for a season. He crouched as an old lion. Who shall raise him up? By his own eternal spirit. You see the pattern of things? It's all in there. Prophesied 1,800 years before Jesus even showed up. And then David's kind of quoting it. He says, the lawgiver is Judah. <clears throat> Verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. He's not scattering, he's gathering. Jesus is pulling them all in. The next time the word Shiloh is mentioned is when Joshua takes the people into the promised land and they set up the tabernacle where Messiah, where God himself, in a sense, was tabernacled with his people until Shiloh become. Okay, Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, it all fits the pattern. And when Jesus came, who was he? God with us. God tabernacled with man when he walked on the earth. This is powerful stuff. This is a powerful song. It's gold. It's all about the Messiah coming. The banner of reality 
in the lives of God's people is truth and love. And it's all found in Jesus. The last couple of verses, let me read these. Well, Mandy, you can come on up. <clears throat> Get ready for the closing. It's this lack of trust problem. He raises a bunch of questions in verse 9. It's like, okay, who will bring me the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? Is it, is it not you, God, the one who cast us off? And you, oh God, why didn't you go out with our armies? I mean, there's kind of a, I'm trusting you, but I've got questions. I got a lot of questions yet, but I, I'm trying to trust you here. Do you feel that? Yeah. And you get to verse 11. Give us help from trouble. For the help of man isn't enough. Through God, we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. You know, it's a feeling of come what may, I will trust you. I have a lot of questions, but I'm still going to trust you. And our lack of understanding concerning God's plans and timing on things will always eat away at our ability to trust Him. We still have to trust Him. Trust Him anyway.
closing thought. The believer's enemies are the world, the flesh, the devil. In himself, he's powerless to conquer them, and the help of other men is insufficient, no matter how well-meaning they might be. But there is victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who trust in him for deliverance will never be disappointed. Believer Bible Commentary. Lord, we just ask that you strengthen our faith as we go forward today. We know this week has challenges before us that we've not even considered yet. And uh, we just ask for help and strength for the days ahead. And help us to uh, not question you as much as trust you, knowing we don't know it all. We don't see the big picture. You haven't explained the global situation to us from your throne. Nor do we need to know it. But Lord, just help us to know that you're there. You love us. And our banner that we carry is the banner of the cross of Christ. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for the week ahead of us. In your name, amen. amen.